You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. We're going to be looking at chapter 10 today, but the teacher kind of sets this up at the end of chapter 9. So what we're going to read together before we're seated and get into it here is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. So Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 18, we can put this on the screen as well. He says, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom. It greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, built huge siege works against it. Now, there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So, Father, I simply ask one more time that you would illuminate your word to us so that it might transform our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 2022. Couldn't be any worse than 21, right? (laughs) We're off to a great start. Uh, We haven't shut down. That's good. We're all here. That's great. So uh, if you were going to experience a new place, a new city, you're going to travel somewhere you've never been before. There's several ways you could go about doing that. You could just show up. See what you see. You know, you could drive to a new city, fly in there, whatever, hop out, say we're going to Paris. You know, that'd be cool, right? Uh, not Paris, Arkansas. I've been there, but I haven't been to Paris, France. You know, that'd be cool. So I get out of the plane and just like take an Uber down somewhere and it drops me off and I'm just going to wander around, see what I see. And I guarantee you, because it's a cool city, I'm going to see lots of cool stuff, you know, but probably going to miss a lot of things. Because I don't know about them, nor do I know where they are if I did know about them. I'm not going to know how to get there. Probably going to find myself in a few back alleys somewhere too. Could be a little dangerous. You know, a better way might be to have a map. If you're really smart and you have an iPhone, you've downloaded Google Maps instead of using the one built into your phone. And so you could use Google Maps to show up in Paris and you could look at uh, Street View and you could learn where the Champs-Élysées is or Le Tour Eiffel which for you in Arkansas, all those of us here, that's the Eiffel Tower. Um, but you can find out where that stuff is. You could walk over to the stuff you've heard about. You could check it out. You could know the names of the streets and maybe, you know, the little skinny streets. You avoid those, right? Because that could be dangerous. A better way, though, would be to hire a travel agent. A travel agent's going to give you like this benefit of some knowledge or some experience that he or she has about some place that you want to go. Maybe some place they've been. So, for example, about five years ago, 
my family took a cruise. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but this is the first time we've ever taken a cruise together as a big family, okay? And so my normal way of doing things is just figure it out myself because I'm really smart and I don't need anybody's help. However, my wife did convince me we should probably go through a travel agent. And so we went, booked our vacation through this travel agent in Jonesboro. And this lady has been, she goes on like five or six cruises a year. And she's been doing this for decades. She knows her way around a cruise ship. I'd never heard of a Lido deck before. I didn't know what that was, but apparently that's the place you want to be. Okay, where like all the action's happening. And we learned like, from her, we learned what to do when we got there. Like how to pack our luggage the most efficient way. Or like uh, what time to show up. Or what excursions to take and which ones to avoid. So we got to swim with dolphins, which was awesome. And we avoided, uh, you know, getting stung by a bunch of, uh, a sting- uh, what are they called, uh, uh, jellyfish. Not stingrays. I don't get stung by stingrays. That'd be bad. But jellyfish. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, she, she was really, really helpful. We learned a lot about things we didn't know because she had been there before. Now, in life, there's a couple different ways we could approach life. We could... Like going to a new city and just walking around, we can experience life like that. We can just walk around and see what happens, you know? And there's a lot of us doing that. Just meandering through life. I'm not really looking for help from anybody else. I'm not looking for wisdom. I'm just gonna figure it out on my own. You could take cues from the culture of the community that you're a part of. So for example, most of you in here, I would assume, grew up maybe around here. If you grew up in Perigold, you probably learned some cultural cues that taught you to obey the law. For example, that's a good thing to learn. You probably learn to use good manners to say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, or to shake a person's hand or look them in the eye when you talk to them and so on. And these cues can act like a map to guide you through life. They're going to help you. And some of these cues that you've learned are very beneficial. Yes. Yes. Okay. Some of the cues that you've learned are not beneficial and actually can be counterproductive and pull you away from all the fullness of life that God offers. So there's a third way to experience life that's even better and requires some wisdom. And that's to learn from others who have gone before you like hiring a travel agent. You can learn from the wisdom of someone who's been down the road that you're going. And by the way, you don't have to be old, amen, to to gain wisdom. I used to have this idea that like all, all old people are wise. Well, A, that's not true. And B, you don't have to be old to gain wisdom. You can gain wisdom by learning from people who've been down the road before. And that's actually kind of what's happening in the book of Ecclesiastes. You have, if you look at chapter 11, uh, is 11? Is that the last chapter? 12. 12. Okay, chapter 12. You'll see that like this is most likely a letter being written by a father to his son. Okay, And he, he wants this son to gain some wisdom from someone who's been down the road, not himself, but from what we, what we hear of as the teacher, okay? Most likely Solomon. But he wants him to learn some wisdom from the teacher who's going to put forward two major themes in chapter 10. And what we just read there at the end of chapter 9, he kind of sets it up there. So let's look at what these two themes are that the teacher gives us about life. Number one, he says it's better to be wise than to be foolish. That sounds, amen. I heard some parents there. Amen. Number two, a little bit of foolishness can outweigh loads of goodness. Amen to that. So let's look at these two themes 
a little more in depth. We're going we're gonna to meander around in chapter 10 now for a minute. First one, it's better to be wise than foolish. In face value, like, well, duh, everybody knows that. But let's unpack it a bit. Look at verse 2 with me. The teacher says, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Okay? Now, there's this idea, uh, especially you'll see it in the Bible a couple of times. Jesus kind of uses the same kind of language where the idea of right is good and blessing and the left is evil and bad, cursing, okay? And it has nothing to do with like direction or should you be right-handed or if you're left-handed, like you need to figure out how to write with your right hand. It has nothing to do with that. It's just this idea that there is a marked difference between two different ways of life, okay? The heart, the two different kinds of hearts within somebody. And here he's saying there's a wise way and the heart's inclined to the right. And there's a foolish way where the heart's inclined to the left. So when there is wisdom, the heart's going to incline to the right, which means it's going to bring blessing and, excuse me, and joy and abundance in your life. However, the heart of the fool inclines another way. You're always pulled in an opposite direction. So when the inside's not right, the outside gets messed up. And, and he kind of fleshes this out in verse three. Let's look at it. He says, even as fools walk along the road, just like common everyday stuff. As they're walking along the road, they lack sense. And they show everybody how stupid they are. Amen? And some of you are like, I know those people. And some of you are those people. Okay? So I'm just teasing. None of, no one in here. They're all out there. So uh, a, a foolish person, just as he's going along. Now, we don't walk along the road most of the time here. We, we drive a lot. And we'll tend to show. Are we wise people or foolish people? Right? Like, we can show how stupid we are uh, sometimes by the way we just live our life. Abraham Lincoln said it this way. Uh, he said, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove everyone right. You know what I'm saying? How does he say it? Better to remain silent, be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. So it's better to be wise, he's saying, because your heart will be inclined to the right toward blessing. He gives two more anecdotes that we're going to look at today on why it's better to be wise than foolish. Let's look at those. The first one's in verse 10. So if we skip down to verse 10, we see that if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. So this is a proverb and it has nothing to do with axes or cutting down trees. Instead, it has to do with preparation, with planning ahead, with the value of wisdom over strength. So you have this tree, okay? Like you got a tree, needs to be cut down. You got a tool, here's an axe. Okay, the axe is dull. What do you do? You swing harder. The fool's going to grab the axe and get to work because he's only got six hours to cut this tree down. He better get to work. And he's going to be sweating and working hard all those six hours. You know what I'm saying? That's the foolish person. But the wise person, again, Abraham Lincoln, he says, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'm going to spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's wisdom, right? It's better to be wise than foolish because wise is going to keep you from working so hard. Amen. Okay, you can use your head and work smarter, not harder. He gives another anecdote in verse 18. He says, through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. It's another proverb, and it has very little, if anything, to do with maintaining a house. Now, the teacher's talking about the diligent work that goes into maintaining a family. 
He's taking something familiar and using it to teach a deeper truth. That's what wisdom does. So you have this, this house that was built. It could be a beautiful, big, spacious house, state-of-the-art, all this technology, cool stuff, a ring doorbell. But without the proper maintenance, it's going to deteriorate. It's going to sag. Like my 20-year-old house that my son tends to point out, uh, Dad, this door won't close all the way. Or, Dad, the clo- my closet door fell off again. <laughs> that happens a lot in my house. Or like last year, I had to replace the roof on my house. Or a year before that, I had to replace two air conditioning units. Amen. So awesome. So it was great. <sighs> I've, I've gotten out of step with the spirit here. I'm, I'm like totally in the flesh here. All right. But the warning here is for you parents. It's for us. Because families can often get off to a great start. But then the reality of the long, hard fight of parenting sets in. Really starts to wear on us, doesn't it? And that's when we have to be really careful because the fool is lazy. He's worn out, and so he hands his 10-year-old son an iPad to give himself a break. And so the discipleship begins. And listen, I do this too, okay? <laughs> like, I have my son iPads all the time. Please, you know. Um, we're all disciples. You know that? Not just all disciples of Jesus, We're all disciples of something because we're all learning from being shaped into the image of something. The question is what or who? Because we're all being shaped every day more and more into that image. And the teacher, like a travel agent, he's been there before. He's telling us to watch out. Don't get lazy. Be diligent all the way to the end. So be wise He says, seek wisdom because it's better to be wise than foolish. Wisdom's going to guide your heart to the right where you're going to find success, security, delight, joy. Now the second theme that he lays out. He says a little bit of foolishness will outweigh loads of goodness. Let's look at verse 1 together of chapter 10. He says, as dead flies, what a great way to start a chapter. You know what I'm saying? Dead flies give perfume a bad smell. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'll give you a better example, maybe a more relevant example here in a second. But he says, just like that, a little bit of folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Warren Buffett, famous investor, billionaire man, he famously said, it takes 20 years to build a good reputation and only five minutes to ruin it. You ever been to a restaurant before? You're eating a really good meal? Good food. It's good. Then you pull out one of those really long hairs out of your food. That ever happened to you? Or worse yet, you ever found an insect in your food? I have. Actually, my wife has. Uh, we went to a, a, an establishment. Shall remain nameless. Just know that this establishment has, has since uh, come under new ownership. Uh, thank the Lord. And we're back. But I picked up some food, taken it home. We were digging into it. And uh, we had some sandwiches. And my wife was, she didn't find it. Well, she didn't like like find it with her fingers. She found it by biting into it. You know, there was a dead fly in her sandwich. You know what I'm saying? Could have been a total freak accident. I don't know, but I'm telling you what, she didn't keep eating the sandwich. You know, it ruined the sandwich. It was a good sandwich, but a little fly ruined the sandwich. I've used this uh, illustration with students a lot, but one of my favorite things to eat 
possibly my favorite, are, are a good set of brownies, okay? Not, not, uh, not well, the, the Betty Crocker, nothing fancy. The Betty Crocker kind you buy at Walmart in the box, you know what I'm saying? Because anything you have to stir, I count it homemade. Uh, so anyway, Betty Crocky, Betty Crocky, <laughs> Betty Crocker brownie mix. Uh, you're, let's say you're going to come over to my house. I do have a cat, by the way. Uh, so if you're allergic, just heads up on that. She uh, does shed a whole lot. Her name is Sally. Uh, my daughter named her. I know it's, it's the weirdest name. Anyway, so uh, Sally, my cat. She said, "Why am I saying that? I don't know." You're coming to my house, okay? You're allergic to cats, whatever. So I'm going to cook you some brownies because I really want you to be impressed. I want you to have something sweet to eat. We have a good time together. I really want to impress you. So I'm mixing up some brownie, homemade brownie mix here. I pour it into my little pan there, set it on the stove, preheat the oven, turn it around, kind of washing my utensils, ready to put it in. You're coming in 20 minutes. Okay. And I turn around. Oh, that cat that I mentioned, Sally, to my dismay, she has jumped up on the counter and is apparently mistaking this brownie batter for a litter box. She is arch you know how they arch their back you know what i'm saying she's like arching her back and dropping a load in the brownie mix right here i'm like what what no you know and so like i'm I'm scrambling getting her off there you know paul prince going back i'm like oh my gosh what am i gonna do and uh i'm like they're gonna be here in 20 minutes what am i gonna do i have a couple options they're not gonna know you know i could i could like just scoop it out you know what I'm saying? Throw it away. There's lots of good in there. You know what I'm saying? A lot of good brownie mix. They're not going to know. I'm not going to eat it. But uh, I have another idea. What if I got another box, started mixing it up, and just like poured more on there? You know, I'm kind of diluted. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the same kind of idea about a little bit of foolishness ruining a lot of good, it's the same thing. Okay? Like you can try to, to cover up the foolishness that you've done or whatever, like whatever this foolish thing is, but um, it can ruin a brownie mix. It can ruin a good plate of food. It can ruin your life. Just a little bit of foolishness. The same thing's true, by the way, not just in your own personal life, but the same thing can be true of a nation or of a city or of a church. Look at verses five to seven with me. The teacher says there's an evil that I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Now, by the way, just just to help us understand, he's not talking about like all the rich people should be in authority. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about people with... with um, like ability or the means to, to get things done. People with resources. And he says, I look around and this is like an evil. This is something that's ruining society. That you have this foolish leader who is putting people who have no business being in authority. They're unqualified or worse yet, they lack character. And you're putting those people in positions of leadership and influence. So in other words, let's take our city, for example. It could be full of bright and qualified people, lots of resources. It could be used for the good of the city. Yet one foolish leader could fail to elevate those people, whether it's because he's insecure or because he lacks wisdom, but it'd be to the detriment of our city. It doesn't take many fools in positions of influence to ruin a nation or a city or a church. So, 
Seek wisdom with all your heart, he says. It's better than foolishness. And guard it, he says, with all your might. That's what we've learned from the teacher, our travel agent on this journey through life. We started out by seeing a multitude of ways that we could explore a new place, right? Just showing up, wandering around on our own, using a map, taking some cultural cues, or uh, hiring a travel agent like we've seen here. But before we kind of land the plane, there's actually one way of experiencing a new place that's even better than a travel agent. And that is hiring a personal tour guide. Hiring a personal guide. Well, just last week, uh, my family and I went to the Smoky Mountains, east part of Tennessee, to visit some family. Oh, yes, we were there. That's right. I did not take that picture, but I uh, found it on the internet. But I was there. I was on that rock, on that bridge. It was amazing. And uh, we were there to visit Allison's dad. We hadn't seen him in a long time. And um, they invited us, his family invited us to, to do lots of adventurous things. We went to the Bristol Motor Speedway, uh, where the NASCAR stuff happens, and they've set up this indoor ice skating rink. We checked that out. Didn't know about that, but it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Real quick story, if I can. Uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just want to tell it because my son's here and I want to embarrass him. So years ago, we went to Chicago on a trip for my son's uh, karate tournament. He used to do karate a lot. He's a secondary black belt. Don't mess with him. So anyway, um, we went to Chicago for this big tournament and, uh, we went to an ice skating rink where the big bean is in Chicago. You know what that thing is? It's like a chrome bean. I don't know. It's weird, but there's an ice skating rink outside. It was in January. So we went ice skating. Okay. We we're from Arkansas. Of course, we don't know how to ice skate. Okay. So we're skate. He's the worst. Okay. And he's, he's, uh, holding on was, he's great now. Okay. But he was 11, you know, whatever. So he's like holding on to the rail and it, this is literally, he'd have been better off with shoes on. He was just like crawling across like this. 30 minutes into our skate, he's finally made it to the far side of the skating rink and a buzzer goes off like that. And it says, please clear the skating rink so we can resurface the ice. And this machine, this big, you know, ride on machine starts coming up on the ice. Everybody starts skating off the ice, you know, except for Aiden, who's hanging on to the far side. Well, he can't stay there. He's trying to like crawl around, you know, he's like, this ain't going to work. So he decides still across the middle. Well, he, he can't stand up. You know what I'm saying? So he starts going across the middle and quickly figures out he'd be better off like this. And so he winds up like this and he's crawl, crawls across. There's 200 people outside watching one person in the middle of this huge skating rink crawl across on his hands and knees. So funny. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Except that we were taken to an ice skating rink. It re, you know, brought up all those memories. We, we told those stories to our, our family. It was a lot of fun. We were also taken, since we were in Bristol, we were taken to this um, this bakery in downtown Bristol. It was the bomb. It was awesome. We had some uh, cheesecake down there. Ooh, so good. Would have never known about that. We were taken to Seven Devils, North Carolina. I know, right? Um, to Hawk's Nest Snow Tubing. Uh, and that was a blast. So we went up on a mountain, rode on tubes, like rode a conveyor belt up to the top and just like snow tubed over and over on real snow. It was, it was totally cool. But the highlight of our visit is going to be the, t- the trip we took to Grandfather Mountain, which was the picture that you just saw. It was this 6,000 foot gift from God. Oh, that I'm not the gift from God. Well, I am a gift from God, but I mean like that's me on top of the mountain. In fact, right as I took that picture, um, we're, we're on the peak. You know, you can see those are mountains down, but they're down below us. You see what I'm saying? 
And while I was up there, it was so breathtaking and beautiful. It was amazing. And so I was like, I had to share it with somebody. I FaceTimed Jared uh, while I was up there. I was like, and he was, I don't know what he was thinking. He was like, yeah, thanks a lot. You know, oh, he even said like, look what I'm about to do. And he's like about to weed eat his yard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, in your face, man. Like, look where I am on top of the world. You know, it was just breathtaking and awesome. Okay. So visiting East Tennessee, like we had no idea what to do, where to go. But because we had family that lived in the area and they acted as a personal guide, they took us on to these cool places, to these local restaurants that other people, you know, the locals eat, you know, to these bakeries that I talked about or introducing us to the best experiences in the area. But get this, like not only did they just tell us about these places and not only had they been there before, but the beauty is, is they, they took us and went on the journey with us. So when we parked our car and started up the trail to the top of that mountain, not the whole way, like we, you know, but it was the last 1500 feet or whatever. When we stopped our car and we got on that trail, we were not alone. And that is how we were meant to experience this life. So we're going to look at three ways that we can experience life to the fullest by walking through it with a personal guide. The first is this, and the most important. When we become children of God, when you, through faith in Jesus Christ, become a child of God, you receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, he told his disciples, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now that doesn't sound right. Sounds like it would be good for Jesus to be here, talk to you, tell you what to do. He says, it's good for you that I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then he goes on to say, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Get this. Jesus had lots to say about like how they should live life, how they should treat others, what they should be doing. But he's saying there's something better. When the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. Get that? Like, this is not just an information dump for you. I don't just have things to say. I have a person, a guide to give you. In fact, Paul says that if we are not walking with this Holy Spirit through life, we will gratify the sinful natures of the flesh, the sinful desires of the flesh. That's in Galatians 5. So Christianity is more about an experience with the Holy Spirit. John Piper says it this way. He said, I sometimes fear that we have so redefined conversion in terms of human decisions, and we've so removed any necessity of the experience of God's Spirit that many people think they're saved when in fact they only have Christian ideas in their head not spiritual power in their heart. Because the truth of the matter is that Christianity is not just some array of glorious ideas. It is a life-changing experience of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. Get that? Christianity is not a belief in ideas. It is an experience with the Holy Spirit of God through faith in Jesus. And if you're living life any other way, that's not Christianity. So how do you receive this Holy Spirit? 
Well, one, you have to hear the word of God. You've got to hear the good news about Jesus. Secondly, God must call you to himself, okay? Again, this is not just like information that you've got to hear and be like, okay, yeah, I believe that. I believe there was a guy named Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. Cool, I'm good, right? No, like I hear the good news about Jesus and the spirit of God does something that I can't do for you. No man, no woman, no, no one can do for you. You can't even do for yourself. The spirit of God must take the dead heart that that word lands on and make it alive. And then thirdly, you have to receive the word, which means there's got to, there's got to be a, a change in your attitude. The Bible calls it repentance. Okay. There's got to be a change of the way I'm thinking and, and looking at life and looking at and thinking about God and looking and thinking about my sin. There's a change in my life that must happen. And fourthly, like we have to give this some open expression of our faith in Jesus, and we do that through water baptism. Not that water baptism like makes you a Christian or makes you a follower of Jesus, but after the resurrection, you never see a Christian, a person who becomes a disciple of Jesus, who's not baptized. It's an act of obedience. You can't be a disobedient son of God or a daughter of God. So you right here today, you are invited to experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. You're, you're invited to experience the greatest thing in the world. Repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, and open yourself up to the power of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, like, you'll receive when you trust in Jesus, you'll receive the same spirit that led Jesus. Do you get that? The same, the same spirit that empowered Jesus will empower you and guide you. The same spirit, the Bible tells us, that raised Christ from the dead will live in you. Secondly, and it's worth mentioning because our passage here, is this is actually happening in the passage we're reading today. We have a God-given responsibility as parents to guide our children. We have a God-given responsibility as parents to guide our children. In the the book of Ecclesiastes, that's exactly what's happening. If you were to skip to the end of the book, you'd see that the whole book is actually a letter from a dad to his son. He appears to be pointing to the teacher, like we said, I think it's Solomon. Like he's some travel agent, he's someone who's gone before, he's someone that he wants his son to learn from. He's being a good dad. He even tells his son in chapter 12, verse 11. He says this, the words of the wise, and this teacher is one of the wise, okay? And by the way, by the wise, we're not talking about like wisdom by the world standard. We're talking about the wise given to us by God, those who authored the scriptures. The words of the wise are like goads. And a goad is like a a tool, a long stick with a a, a pokes on the end of it, right? They'd use it to put... Poke the cattle and get them to move along and pull the plow. So he says, the words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails that hold things together. And check this out, given by one shepherd. Yeah, there's lots of wise people. There's lots of authors of the Bible, over 40 authors that make up the the collective writings of the scriptures. 
But all these are given to us by one shepherd. And so what this dad's doing is what we're called to do as parents. And that's to guide our children toward wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom that comes from knowing and following the good shepherd. And that is Jesus. So don't get too caught up or so caught up in your career or in building a house or in music or sports or fishing or hunting or academics or accomplishments that you neglect your primary vocation, parents, and that is the discipleship of your children. Instead, use your career. Use the building of a house. Use music and sports, fishing and hunting, academics and accomplishments to point the hearts of your kids to the good shepherd. Thirdly, we're not just adopted as an only son or daughter, but we're adopted into a family. Romans chapter 12, Paul says that each of us has one body, okay? And this body has many members. And these members don't all have the same function. Just like in Christ. Though many, and there's many of us here who are in Christ, we form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Get this. You following Jesus? I need you. I'm following Jesus. You need me. We need one another. And it is a beautiful gift of God that he did not call you to live in isolation or try to figure this stuff out on your own. Yes, he's given us his word. Yes, he's given us his spirit. But he's also given us one another. This is why our church is formed around these things called missional communities. You heard Chris talk about them earlier today. A missional community is simply a group of people who are practicing the way of Jesus, which means we're disciples of Jesus, and we're doing this together as family here in the place God's planted us. Do you get that? We're doing this together. You'll, If you've been through our basics class, you'll probably uh, hear about or have heard about the Christian experience as being like uh, uh, the summit of trying to get up to the summit of Mount Everest. And there's a couple ways of like approaching Mount Everest. One way would be like watching some big documentary on a, on a, on an IMAX screen, glorious and awesome, entertaining. Another way might be to, um, write some long research paper that does not sound very exciting about Mount Everest. Another one, um, what's the other one? What am I missing? Oh, yes, looking up boring, 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 looking up Google Images. Like like what y'all just saw right there, that picture of Grandfather Mountain there. Uh, you may see that and be like, you know, eh, you know, that was pretty. But you didn't experience it. But what you'd see is that the Christian life was not meant to be experienced on a screen or by writing a paper or by learning a bunch of facts. It's meant to be experienced to climb the mountain. But get this, no one ever summits Mount Everest alone. That never happens. And so the glorious thing is, is that God's called us up this mountain together. So seek wisdom, hold on to wisdom, and let's do this together through the power of the Holy Spirit as we're raising our kids together, we're making mistakes together, we're getting up and keep going on together.
So together, what we're about to do is we're going to experience communion. And today, like as you take this bread and the juice, which, you know, this bread, of course, represents the broken body of Jesus, the juice, his spilt blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And just as you take that today, be reminded that when you receive Jesus, you receive his Holy Spirit, who is a guide, a guide through this life so that you can experience life to the full, the way God meant for it to be experienced. And we're going to do this together. Okay, so you're not alone. You're not alone here this morning. The band's going to come forward. I'm going to pray, and then we'll enjoy communion together. Father, I want to say thank you for your word. I was thinking this morning um, how awkward it would be to come to a building every week and... Listen to someone get up and read an excerpt of Gone with the Wind and give their opinions on it and do that week after week. That'd be really odd. Um, it wouldn't be really life-giving. It might sometimes be entertaining. But the difference here today, Father, is that we've read from your word, which is living. It's active. And even though this dad wasn't writing these collected sayings of the teacher to us, They are certainly for us. So thank you for the gift, the gift of your word, which acts as a guide for us through life. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes to us through faith in Jesus. I pray now that as we take communion together, that we just be reminded of your goodness, the gift that you gave, Father, when you gave your own son so that we could be adopted into your family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.